If you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, if you turn to John chapter 3, John chapter 3, it's a very well uh, preached passage, very familiar with it in many ways. John chapter 3, this is uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus to have a conversation with him. my wife reminded me that uh, um, this could be a follow-on from uh, the series I did during lockdown about conversations with Christ, um, but uh, maybe it's going a wee bit further than there. John chapter 3, and we'll start at verse number 1. It says that there was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? As I said, it's a familiar passage. Nicodemus, who was a teacher in Israel, as it says, uh, a Pharisee, he had some sort of uh, authority there. He would have taught people and instructed them. The Pharisees was a movement, a a return to holiness. They they seen the way that the nation was and they wanted to return to the way things were. It was a return to holiness movement in many ways. And in desire to return to holiness, they became obsessed with the Old Testament laws It was all about ritual and ordinance. It's all about what they could do and how they could walk according to the law. And that was a very big thing for them. You can remember the man who came to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? What he was asking him was, which one should we really observe most? Which is the most important one? They became obsessed with it. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus here and he's challenging him. And he wants to really stretch his mind, stretch his understanding to see beyond the ritual, to see beyond the the ordinance and the things that they had become obsessed with. They had become obsessed with living a a, a certain way. And in some ways, it it was admirable because they were living, they were living as they seen a holy life. They were doing their best to observe the law. But Jesus here says, and the key verse is, is verse number six. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The flesh here denotes mere human nature, the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence, and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. The flesh limits what we're able to perceive, hindering us from truly seeing God, seeing his hand, influence, or guidance. Those who are born of the flesh have a flat view of the world, a flat view of religion. They look at themselves and the world is all about their abilities, what they have to offer, what they can do, what they can achieve, how they can fulfill the law themselves. And that's someone who's walking in the flesh to be carnal, to be fleshly minded. The spirit in contrast here is the spirit 
here is a reference to the Spirit of God, the transformative and enlightening principle by which the body is animated, the life-giving Spirit, the higher-than-man supernatural power of God that is at work in the children of God. Those who are born of the Spirit have an elevated viewpoint. Things aren't just flat. You know, Pastor has spoken before about uh, the nation of Israel and how the conflict there, for many of the, the pundits and, and the news media has talked about it in terms of these people are getting revenge against this people. It's all a fight over land and that's all it is. But if you know God and you know the scriptures and you know, uh, have an elevated viewpoint, you understand that there's a spirit that's behind it. There's something that's happening here that's driving the whole thing. Because this is the only place on the earth that God has said, this is my land and these are my people. So there's a spirit behind it. So to, have, to be spiritually minded is to have that slightly, that elevated viewpoint. Those who are born of the spirit have an alignment with the spirit and have the potential to grow in ways the fleshly man does not. Those who are born of the spirit have the potential to grow in ways that the fleshly man does not. My father is a, um, is a pastor in Letterkenny and he... Uh, he won't be uh, embarrassed by me saying, but he only really has an education till the age of 13. That's when he finished school. And he was a farmer. And if you talk to him, you know what? You, you find out he was a farmer. But because he spent so many years in the Word, praying, seeking the face of God, there's a quality to him, to his understanding. There's a wisdom that goes beyond his learning in earthly terms. He has, a, a potential, he has grown in a potential that the earthly man, the fleshly man, does not. Because he's gone into the spiritual realm, as it were, he's understood the things of God. He has allowed the word to teach him and to shape him and to change his understanding. So the spirit man has that potential that the, the fleshly man does not. And Jesus is enlightening Nicodemus here. He's telling him, you have got a, a limited perspective. You've got a limited way of understanding this world, a limited way of understanding God. You will not get beyond that until you're born of the Spirit. You're born again. Because then your mind and your spirit is stretched, it's enlightened, it is reborn, regenerated as we talk about this conversation with, with uh, Nicodemus was really challenging him. And really it was to denote the challenge that would come up again and again between the church and between the Jews, between the Jewish religion. You know, in our society, you know, the Jews were obsessed with the uh, observance of the rituals and the laws and things like that there. There's one scripture actually in the New Testament where Jesus and, and uh, Matthew is challenging the uh, Pharisees and he tells them that you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. They were so worried about drinking wine with uh, <clears throat> a gnat in it or a fly in it that they would literally drink the wine through their teeth so as to avoid the chances of drinking a gnat because a gnat was unclean to them. So these people had become obsessed with the, with the ritual and obsessed with that thing, with the ordinance. It's not unusual when you think about it in our society. We live in a world that has thrown off all of the chains and all of the, what they call the chains and the, the restrictions of, of uh, Christianity. I mean, the West in many ways was shaped by Christian ethos. It was shaped by the scriptures. 
Look at our charities, our, 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 our hospitals, our orphanages, our, our efforts to help those who are in need, all of them born out of a Christian ethos in the Christian scriptures. But society wants to have nothing more of that and they've thrown them off, they've cast them away and they want, we want freedom. And yet we have the rise of the PC culture. The rise of a culture which tells us there's certain things you can't do and there's certain things you can't say. Now the scriptures have restrictions but it's based on God's word and it's based on the heart of God. They want restrictions based on, their, on the man, on man's efforts and man's opinions and on man's feelings. So the children of Israel were called by God to take the message of God to the world, to take the good news. God created all people and he loves you. And he, that was the message, God, God loves you. You're created by one God. But they didn't go. They didn't go to the world. Instead, they became internally focused. They became obsessed with ritual, became obsessed with ordinance. Look at the one attempt uh, best known scriptural attempt at being a missionary, Jonah. Jonah was sent to Nineveh by God. Go there and tell them that I'm going to judge them. Jonah fought tooth and nail not to go. He wanted to stay at home and, and, and speak to only the Jews or the Hebrews. The children of Israel, the only people I want to go to, I don't want to go to those people. He was obsessed with just keeping it internal and following their ways. As I said, observance and ritual had actually replaced a relationship with God. Even the young man who came to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? That's not the question he should have asked. Coming to Jesus, who's got a, obviously a direct connection with God, with the Father, and is actually at the point where he comes, he's already said that I am God. He comes to Jesus and asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He should have come to Jesus and says, how can I get to know the Father better? How can I walk right before God? How can I get into a better relationship with him? That should have been his question. You can see as time went by, as Christianity exploded, as Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, as Christianity flowed out of Jerusalem and out of Israel, and it went all around the Mediterranean basin, all around the world, ultimately, you can see how many Gentiles who were brought up in a religions that were pagan, that were superstitious, that were all about appeasing gods who really didn't care what you did, that didn't try to bless you or look after you, you just tried to appease the gods, how people who heard the good news of Christ, who heard the good news that there's a God who created you, a God who loves you, who, who was able to say the reason why there is problems in this world is because of man's fallen nature. It's because of the sin in this world. And the good news is that Jesus has come as a third, part, third person of the Trinity to make atonement for you and embrace you into the family of God and adopt you into his family. People heard that and they were like shocked and they flooded into the church. And they came in in their droves into this new relationship with God. This is a God who loves me. This is a God who has adopted me into his family. I'm no longer just wandering through this world trying to make, me, make, make ends meet. I now know that I am a child of God. People flooded into the church into this newfound freedom, newfound relationship, newfound understanding of the world around them. And of course, as, as Gentiles flooded into the church and as Jews embraced Jesus as their Messiah, there was a clash. There was a cultural clash. 
See, for the Jews, they had been brought up to learn to live as a good Jew. As a good Jew, you must remember to recite your prayers in the morning and in the evening. As a good Jew, you must remember never to eat uh, pork. As a good Jew, you must not wear mixed clothing, mixed fabrics. As a good Jew, you must, as a, and they were brought up that way. So as they came into Christ and into this new experience and this new relationship with God, of course, they're embracing it and it's wonderful. But after a short period of time, all of the things that the traditions and the habits and the, the way they were brought up starts to surface and starts to come forward. And they start to say, well, actually, if we're going to be good believers in, in the Messiah, the Mashiach, we need to make sure we do this. We need to make sure we do that. And they started to bring in restrictions. They started to bring in uh, um, uh, old Judaism. And in the Bible, it talks about them in, in terms of being Judaizers, ones who want to turn Christianity back to a form of Judaism that's no longer just temple worship or synagogue worship, but has embraced Jesus, but it's really still Judaism. And, and Paul sees this rising in the church and he struggles with it. He, he knows where they're coming from. He understands that. But he knows that there's a new freedom. There's an experience that he has now had in the church that he cannot deny that he has embraced. This is what I was looking for for all those years. This is a true relationship with God. Paul goes to, to great lengths in the book of Galatians to defend, um, to defend uh, uh, the fledgling church. You have your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter five. You know, I did uh, part of my course uh, in college. I did a, 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 a module on the book of Galatians and it was great. It was very insightful. And every time I wrote down the words that you were saved by faith, not by works, my lecturer gave me another red tick. And he, he appreciated that. He was like, oh, that's what Galatians is all about, works. Not by faith, uh, by faith, not by works. Faith, not by works. I said it so many times. <laughs> Reading it now, it probably won't make much sense. This is all I've ever written. There's a comment in between and a full stop the odd time. So here in Galatians 5, and we're going to start reading it at verse 16. And it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish, but you are led by the spirit and you are not under the law. Just to interject there, you can remember in, in Romans, wasn't it, where Paul said that talking about that struggle, he says, those things I do not want to do, I do. And those things I want to do, I do not do. It's, it's, it's a bit of that as well. He's saying there's a part of me that doesn't want to do that, but I still find myself doing it. There's a part of me knows that I should do this, but I still do it, but I don't do it. You know, so he's talking here about that struggle. Verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
and those uh, and those who are Christ's are, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he's challenging the, this, this conflict in the church. He knows that there's a, an element where they're trying to bring in this control. And he sees that clearly as, an, as, a, 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 as a flesh he identified that with his old way of living. Whenever he was a Jew, he advanced in the church, he advanced in the synagogue, sorry, through his harsh treatment of Christians by rounding them up, by beating them, and actually by forcing them to blaspheme the name of Christ. And he's seen that as doing that as a member of the synagogue, he progressed and developed. He advanced and was more promoted. He was given greater authority and greater license. But he said, that's the old way of the flesh. Walking in the flesh will give rise to things like this. And he's warning the church, and it's good to be warned. It's good to be encouraged. It's good to be strengthened, built up. But it's also good to be warned that this was what could happen if you go back into those types of things, if you go back into effort of the flesh and the control of the flesh. And he's warning him because he sees what's coming ahead here. When I just announced some of the things that he says there, it says adultery is the pleasure of living without commitment or living as though uncommitted. Fornication is the pleasure of commitment without actual commitment. Uncleanness is living without spiritual restriction or control. Lewdness is unbridled speech or actions, heedless or careless of consequences. Idolatry, manufacturing a God that appeals to your agenda, also changing God to make him more amenable to your attitudes and behaviors. On and on it goes, the results of trying to do everything in your flesh to walk in the flesh. We have changed over. We no longer walk in the flesh. We should be walking in the spirit. Paul's seen that and the dangers of it rising in the church and he wanted to protect them from it. And the truth is, some of those things there We've all got the tendency towards. Now, maybe not, for, you know, adultery, Sharon. You know, it's a good thing she's got a mask on this morning. <laughs> can't see her. I can't see her worried look. Never mind her, her, her angry look or nothing, you know. <laughs> Green Mickey's mandatory for a wee while longer. <laughs> I was tempted to get it. Have you ever seen those faces? They just cut out the eyes. People get it for birthdays and stuff. <laughs> I went to someone's 40th birthday and they had one of those. Everyone had the same face of the birthday boy. So they all took pictures and they're all the same face. I should get you one. In a nice big, I've, got a, I've got a big smiley one. <laughs> but we all have that tendency to responding in the flesh, responding in anger, responding in, in, in hatred, sometimes in, in, out of envy, out of jealousy. You don't know what's going on sometimes whenever you're talking to someone and they're talking to you. You know, we can identify it in other people, you know, that they're, oh, that's, that's the flesh there. His response there wasn't very godlike, godly. It uh, wasn't very spiritual. He wasn't very, very polite and very gracious there. We're very quick at identifying that in others. Sometimes we, it takes a bit more honesty to identify that in ourselves. I have. I have been, uh, you know, been contented doing something, making type plans, and then someone will come along, and all of a sudden, Jason, would you do that? Cut the lawn for me. 
See, not, see trying not to respond in the flesh. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, so it's there. And the truth is, you could be saved for 50 years and that fleshly man's still there. That flesh is still waiting to rise up. It doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're going to a lost eternity. But that's always there. It's not far away. Because we live in a world that's always telling us about these things and is always encouraging those things. How often do we watch programs or adverts and it's always encouraging us to look at someone else, compare ourselves to someone else and their lifestyle and what they have and what, what they do and how they look. So the fleshly man likes the things of the flesh, likes to operate in those ways. Has Paul foreseen this as a, as a, a danger for the church? Because really in many ways, they're really, Paul in his epistles is forging the way ahead. They're struggling with things which down the line we don't have to struggle with, but there's some things we will always struggle with. For countless years, centuries now, believers have struggled with this fight for this, with the spirit and the flesh. It is part of, the, uh, uh, of our experience. But he announces here, he enunciates the fruit of the spirit as well. So he's announced the, the work of the flesh, now the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a beauty to it. There's a godliness to it. There's something about it that's attractive. Really, to any man, any woman in the street, when they see the fruit of the Spirit operating in the lives of a believer, there's something about it that's attractive. I'm not talking you know, visually attractive, but there's something about a spirit, about someone who has the fruit of the Spirit operating in their lives, that attracts people to them. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. God has equipped us in that way. So the fruit of the Spirit, the first one's love. Love. Love those four letters. It hardly does justice to the word, does it? L-O-V-E. It hardly really encapsulates. I look at Sharon and I love Sharon. It hardly encapsulates my feelings for her. It hardly encapsulates our relationship together. Those things that we do for each other. Time she brings me a coffee, reminds me to get up, go cut the lawn. <laughs> it hardly encapsulates the willingness I do to go that, no. But you know what I mean? You know, whenever you look at the one that you love and you look at your family and how much you care for them and you love them, it really, does the word, those four letters really encapsulate the, the depth of that emotion? So to our relationship with one another as the people of God, as brothers and sisters, we may struggle sometimes, but we're family. What about our love for God? Wow. They could write a thousand books, a million books of all the, how much we love God, how much we're thankful for what he's done for us, how much we adore him for who he is. Joy, that inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances, Boy, we need more of that. Peace, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Long-suffering is courageous endurance without quitting. God bless. God bless those who are enduring. God bless. 
Margaret, thinking of you. God is good. There's those who have gone through great things and endured. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Being able to endure that and not lose faith. Courageous endurance without quitting. That's an example to us. Kindness is love and action. Goodness, love and action. Faithfulness, dependability. On and on. These are the fruit of the Spirit that, that the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in our lives, that wants to bring forth in our lives. These are attractive qualities. These are things that God has given us to, to, to create a, an atmosphere, a place here that is quite unlike it anywhere in the world. Any other religion in the world, any other gathering of people will be very different than a gathering of the people of God because there should be an atmosphere in here. There should be a place in here where the fruit of the Spirit blossoms where it changes us, where it feeds us, where it helps us, where it encourages us. It is absolutely wonderful whenever you really look at the fruit of the Spirit and what it can mean for the people of God and the church of God and actually for the world out there. Can you imagine the transformation in our communities, in our world, if, the, if all the believers were walking and had the fruit of God manifesting in their lives? Now, some of us have a wee bit more effort and we've got some here and some here, which is fine. But if we have more and more and we, we took more time to cultivate it and to nurture it, greater it would be. As a believer, I would love to see my, my family changed. Those who are far from Christ, I would at least love to see them saved. I would love to see those who are bound up in addictions or those who are bound up in sins uh, I'd love to see them delivered. I'd love to see them set free. I'd love to see them standing, praising God. I'd love to see our community transformed where we're helping one another. I'd love to see our governments enacting laws uh, and legislation that encourages, that upholds God's, uh, God's righteousness and holiness and helps those who are in need, but upholds the right also. I'd love to see those things. I've got a lot to celebrate I've been saved. I'm no longer far from God. I'm no longer an orphan. I've got hopes. I've got a vision for the future. God wants to change me and wants to change this world. God's given us a blueprint for the future in many ways. And I'm working my way along the path. And yet that fleshly man just rises up, comes along and pulls you back and tries to get preeminence. You know, this is where the rubber hits the road. As believers, we want to just embrace the fun times, the excitement and the passions. But there's a little bit of a responsibility on our part to walk the path, to live the life. God wants us to be responsible, to teach those around us, to teach our kids. He wants us to be an example. And we have to sometimes make the choice you know, this week, whenever I was studying for this morning's message, we have had the best week of weather this week that we have had in two months. I tell you, I was, I was so tempted every day, to, every night to go for a walk or, or to take the motorbike out or, or even to take my dog for a walk. And I don't even like the dog, you know. <laughs> I was so tempted to go do a million other things. Isn't that right? Whenever you sit down to pray or you sit down to read the word or even you're coming to church this morning, you know, we'll go to the first service or we'll go to the second service. You know, uh, well, what, what are my options? Well, the afternoons would be nice. I might, you see how packed it was here this morning <laughs> in a socially distant way, of course. 
But that's the, that's the flesh. The flesh will give us 101 reasons to do something else, to, to, to go and spend time on yourself, to go, oh, there's a new movie out. Oh, I've got to go see that movie. I've got a new DVD. Actually, Sharon noticed this morning I had bought a DVD and it's still sitting in this plastic. I hadn't even opened it. But the temptation to open it every day, every night this week, I'm like, I'm going to read it, watch this. The flesh wants to give us a million reasons not to, to seek God, not to read his word, not to pray, not to, to spend time with his people. A million reasons to do that. And we live in an age which is uh, quite unlike any other age. When you think about it, the amount of information we have on the Bible, the amount of commentaries that we have, the amount of uh, encouraging literature we can get, the amount of songs that are available online, the amount of sermons that are available online, there has never been an age in the history of mankind where there has been so much available to the believer. There's never been so much information available. Never. And yet... We'd sooner pick up our phone and and Facebook or Twitter or whatever else. Do we ever pick it up and and let's let's go through the Bible app? Claire, pastor's daughter, challenged me this year to do uh, read the Bible in a year. I know Martin had done it there previously, but Claire challenged me on one of the Bible apps so she can trace where track where I'm doing it. (laughs) Talia, there's a (laughs) I'm disciplined. (laughs) I have to be, otherwise she'll get on my case. There's a million and other things that want our attention, that wants to draw, pull us back and give the flesh preeminence. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this struggle. He talks about this, this, this effort between the old man and the new man. Ephesians 4, it says, he talks about, uh, he says, you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man who grows more corrupt according to de- the deceitful lusts. So the old man is becoming more deceitful and he's becoming more corrupt in his manipulations and in his opportunities. You know, you don't want to go and spend time in the word tonight. You don't want to go and read. Go around and visit someone and encourage them. You're going to go around there and encourage them. You're going to go around and have a cup of tea and watch some TV or YouTube or something. And be renewed in, but he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, Paul's telling them about this struggle that's going to go on. It's happening within them, the believers. It's happening within the church as a microcosm. It's happening inside the believers. It's happening within us. So how can we fight this battle? How can we ensure that the spirit man wins the upper hand? Well, first of all, I'll point out that it says that it calls it the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. So the works of the flesh, it's working, it's striving, it's toiling, there's effort, there's a, de- there's a desire for it to take over. So it is working, it is going to great lengths to try and get in preeminence, uh, to try and to, to reassert itself, to, to break through in a moment of weakness and to emphasize itself. But it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. In order to get the fruit of the Spirit, in order to get fruit, you have to plant something. You have to plant something. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the end times. And he's talking about leaving this mortal flesh, leaving behind the world and becoming, uh, being remade uh, and receiving that glorified body 
in, in eternity. He's talking about that transformation of leaving behind the old, the flesh, and going to the spirit and becoming the spirit body and receiving the spirit body. The key verse is uh, verse 44. It says, it is sown a natural body and it is raised the spiritual body. Speaking of the natural body that is sown to the ground, that is planted, that is put in the ground, and the spiritual body then which rises again, which is rises, I should say. Um, there's also an element of this whenever Jesus, when it talks about us being crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. That idea of putting to, putting to death or putting to, into the ground the old man, the old nature, putting it down there and not trying to keep it alive, not trying to keep it on a, a resuscitator or a life support system, but putting it to death allowing it to be buried and to be left behind. Now, as I said, it, it's always there. It's something that we will always have lurking in the background, but we don't focus on the dead body. We don't focus on what's been planted into the ground. Instead, we focus on Christ. We focused on this new life that Christ has given us. We focused on, on, on God and on his word. The word there, when it says it is sown a natural body, the word is sukos, uh, which is wisdom in harmony with the corrupt desires and affections and springing from them, aligned to the earth, sensuous nature with its subjection to appetite and passions. We should have control over ourselves, control over uh, of all those wild thoughts and things that go through our minds. And they do. Let's be honest, things come into your minds all the time. I have had, I, I turned to Sharon the other night and I told her I had a dream. And I said, I had a dream about such and such. And she, I, I said, I haven't seen a TV show or a movie or anything with that in over a year. But it popped into my mind. And I'm going like, what is that all about? Some people watch a program and that night they have a dream about it. Not me, it's, it was a year and a half, two years ago I, had a, I watched a program and I had a dream. So those things come up. We have to keep, don't focus on them. The spirit here, he talks about the sown and natural body is raised the spiritual body, is pneumatikos, is it coming from the divine spirit or exhibiting its effects and so its character. The acts of a life dedicated to God and approved by him due to the influence of the Holy Spirit, one who is filled with and governed by the spirit of God. So we've put the old man down. We put him in the grave. I am crucified with Christ. That old man is crucified. He is left behind. I'm turning my back on him. I am leaving him behind. And now I'm going to press on in this new relationship with God, in this new experience with Christ. So how do we do that? The first is through love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Remember when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Loving God, it's a good start. It's a good start for, our, for creating an atmosphere in our hearts whereby we will develop the fruit of the Spirit. Pastor reminded us there a few weeks ago about the sower and the seed, about the seed, was, seed and the sower was the same in all the stories, but it was the heart that was, that was, not, was either not prepared and the final story, it was the heart that was prepared. Preparing our hearts to receive the word of God, to receive instruction, to receive whenever we go to the word. We can all receive from the word. 
It's great whenever we come and the pastor opens the word and he, and he brings something to light for us. But God can speak to us directly through his word. He can put a finger on things in our lives. So we walk in love and we walk in this, uh, and we prepare our hearts to receive the word. When we pray to God and we, we talk to him, we pray for those around us, we pray for our circumstances, we pray for our situations, worship, praise, and fellowship with God's people. This all creates an atmosphere in us that allows the, the, the fruit of the Spirit to manifest itself, manif to, to grow and develop in our lives, making us into the people that God has called us to be, making us into a community that changes our world, that people are affected by, that people notice, a community that's attractive, not because we have, all the, the, we have the greatest children's ministry or we have the greatest outreach in this or we have the greatest of that, you know, mothers and tots groups or anything like that there, not because of those things which have got their place, but because we are the people of God who've got the fruit of God working or manifesting in our spirits, in our community. And when we are people who are walking like that there, the world out there who's walking in the flesh will notice and we'll go, there's something about them that's different. There's something about them that's special. It actually looks like they're living like they believe what they say they believe. It actually looks like God is actually alive in their midst, that the Holy Spirit is working amongst them. Because these are the fruit of the Spirit. For Nicodemus, this was all a mystery. He didn't understand. He didn't know what was, what was coming. He thought it was going to be rituals and observances. But, this, but that was replaced their relationship. We're all about relationship. And a relationship with him is a growing thing. It's a developing thing. I've got this quote that I want to read out. This is a quote I found. And it's talking about this very, very same thing. He says, Love then ought to mark our lives as Christians Indeed, love ought to be the hallmark of the Christian. We ought to be known by how we love one another and the world. In fact, our love for one another is an indication of whether we're walking in the Spirit. Love ought to mark the church as well. The church ought to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We ought to be like a garden, the garden of God, embodying the presence of the Spirit, recapturing the love that was present originally in the Garden of Eden. And this garden church ought to be filled with fruit, new creation fruit, born of the Spirit of God within the lives of his people. Thus the church ought to be an oasis in the midst of a barren wasteland, a place of nourishment and rest and healing and life smack dab in the midst of this present evil age. And as we walk in the Spirit, as those things nurture the, the, the spirit within us and the fruit of the spirit manifests this stuff, it, itself, it will transform us, transform our community, transform our loved ones. They'll see it and they'll say, there's something different about those people. There's something different. Nicodemus was baffled by this conversation with Jesus about being born again uh, and the, fle uh, the flesh and the spirit. He could not see beyond the biology. He couldn't see beyond biology. But thank God today, I can say that I know the Lord and his spirit is moving within me, changing me. And I pray 
You'll probably know better than I will. I pray that the fruit of the Spirit will manifest itself in my life. I pray it'll manifest itself in your life. I pray it'll manifest in your life. I pray that you'll see transformation and change that only God can bring. All right. God bless. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you'll lead us and guide us. Lord, help us, Lord, to be more like you. Help us, Lord, to be changed. Lord, leave behind the old fleshly man and you embrace all that you have for us, O God. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you're our God. We thank you that we are saved and redeemed. We thank you that you have changed us and that you are still changing us every day by your Spirit.